This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Stacy Feinberg, President at 33 Capital LLC and Managing Director at Golden Seeds. In this episode, we'll talk about Golden Seeds, how does it work. We'll also talk about Stacy's personal investment preferences, the mistakes that she sees on the pitch deck, and the recommendations that she can give founders right now during this pandemic on fundraising. So, Stacy, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on 33 Capital LLC. Sure. So, um, I've, ha- I've had many, life is not a straight line, and I try to tell that to people, that you'll be shocked when you get older, when you look back and see how many different careers and different things you did. And actually, you'll be happier if you didn't have a straight line and you get to try as many things as possible. When you're young, your opportunity costs are at their lowest, so why not? I've been an entertainment reporter, a sports agent, um, created the field of sports marketing, uh, and then pivoted into finance, um, married someone, uh, went through Harvard Business School, and then um, got into the public markets. And um, had our own hedge fund for about 10 years in the best of times. And quite frankly, Constantine, I remember saying to him, what do we really do? And he'd say, what are you talking about? I'd say, you know, what do we make? A carpenter can point to a chair. An architect can point to a building. What do we do? He said, are you kidding me? Look at our lifestyle. And we make jobs and we create value. And I said, you know, we're really just making rich people richer. Well, (laughs) what's wrong with that? Okay. So I guess nothing was wrong with that, except it never felt felt authentic to me. And I never felt, and I'm not a stuff person. Uh, Things don't, don't drive me. I'm an experiential person. And I felt that someday... I was going to be able to utilize these funds somehow that I was lucky enough to have earned to make a difference and to do something at the grassroots level. Fast forward, we closed our hedge fund, which actually ended up dissolving our marriage, as often happens. And so it was pretty simple. We divided all of our assets, and now I had my opportunity. But I had been out of the work world you know, for a, f- a few years because I, you know, my, it had been my own hedge fund, but I hadn't been out there to see what other opportunities there were. I was very active in my kids' school and all those things at the same time. So um, I sometimes call it reinventing mommy because there's a lot of mommies who are working at the cafeterias and going on field trips who have MBAs and PhDs and had incredible careers and had to make a choice uh, to, to leave those or to limit those in order to raise the children. And so I started reaching out to a lot of these women saying, you know, how do you get back in? What kind of things make you feel fulfilled? If you did get back in, what would you do? What would you do different? And I decided that I wanted to get in the grassroots level of something, anything. I wanted to be a part of making dreams come true and get things off the ground, not buying them in the morning and selling them in the afternoon uh, like the public markets. So I, t- I, I taught myself to become an angel investor. And it started off uh, with smaller checks as I learned because I had no idea what I was doing. It was very different than private equity or any of the other things I had been doing. But it was so much more fulfilling. And then I noticed that women and minorities were getting less than 4% of those funds. So I was able to further narrow my investing thesis to concentrate on those that were underrepresented. And now um, I have about 24 companies in my portfolio. I started 33 Capital. And I'm proud to say that I have a, a female founder at the helm of all of them, as well as I go out and I help teach other women who have, a, have some means. You don't have to you know, have tons of zeros at the end of your check, but if you have anything and you'd like to help participate, I teach you how to become a funder. 
So I work with founders and funders, and that way I'm covering both sides to help level the playing field. Nice. So I know I actually just interviewed uh, another person from Golden Seats. I'm not sure which chapter she's from, but I think she's a managing director as well. I just forgot which chapter is she in. Anyways, uh, she said that Golden Seeds invests basically exclusively in female-led companies. Does 33 Capital do the same thing? Do you focus exclusively on females, or is it uh, different? Well, I, I know I have some investments with men. I invested in Peloton in 2015. Um, you know, um, JD.com. I've got I've got companies. Um, you know, Uber, which I'm not proud of. But uh, it turned out to be a capital loss, unfortunately. But those were funded by men. But um, for the most part, I try very hard. It has to be a, a quite unusual situation for it to not have a woman at the helm or at least to have 25% equity in the company. I mean, head of marketing just doesn't do it for me. That's, that's often what I'll notice that a company will do. They'll put a woman in there for sales and marketing. And, mm, that just, that's not what I'm looking for. So Golden Seeds, so you know, is not just female investors. We have a lot of men uh, as part of Golden Seeds who are fellow managing directors that were former heads of large companies, but they, again, want to level the playing field and focus their, their finances on um, female entrepreneurs. Right, 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 right. So as a, found, as a president of 33 Capital, what do you like to invest in in terms of uh, the field? Are you industry agnostic or are you focusing on a specific industry? I'm industry agnostic. I mean, and because I'm self-funded, I mean, I've got cannabis. I've got expensive cannabis. Uh, I don't have any Bitcoin or crypto because I can't understand it or blockchain. <laughs> if I can't explain it to myself, I can't write a check for it. And um, and I'm always the first one at meeting to say, dumb this down, would you please? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I need to be able to explain it to, to, to you know, uh, my colleagues. So, um I would say agnostic, but what do I look for? Of course, we all love enterprise uh, SaaS models. We love, um, I love anything. I, God, the word disruptive. I'm embarrassed even saying it, but disruptive, democratizing, things like that. But as I get pickier, and the COVID crisis had made, has made us all get pickier, I really try to focus on two things, the have-to-haves, not the nice-to-haves. And it's very clear which are which. There are so many nice-to-haves out there. There's not a lot of have-to-haves. So when I see a have-to-have, I jump on it. That's number one. Number two, if it's something that pulls at my heartstrings and, you know, I, you know, if I put my philanthropic hat on it, I would, have written, I would have written a donation to them anyways. Sometimes I will go with a company like that because their product is so wonderful and so, with such a great social impact, um, if it comes to fruition, that if it doesn't, I'm okay with losing my money. And if it does, I'll be so proud that that's the greatest, you know, IRR I could imagine. That's true. And you said uh, you're focusing now on must-to-haves. Can you define that must-to-have? A must-have something is that it, it, it changes the way that we uh, operate. It changes the things that we, that we do. It's not a me too, an add-on, oh, we're similar to. It's something that didn't exist before. I have one now that I'm about to invest in. I'll let you know it's called Giving. And they are essentially the legal Zoom for Spotify uh, or uh, Shopify for creating a 501c3. Uh, more than ever, people want to create 501c3s. They want to create charities. I had no idea the hurdles you had to go to to become a charity. 
And I was trying to create a family foundation for myself. And $50,000 and six months into it, I said, you know, I cried uncle and said, forget it. I'll just do a donor advisory fund. And now I discover giving and for like $40 and in an hour, I will be a 501c3 up and running. <laughs> I will be a family foundation. To me, that's a have to have. There are so many people out there that would create charities if the burden, uh, the hurdles weren't so high. Right. That's, that's a good point. And that's really, I didn't even know that. He does all the work. He went to every attorney general and every IRS office in uh -huh. all 50 states. So it, it was a talk about having a moat. That's impressive to me. And that also is one of those things that I say to myself, wow, if I can help students not only create charities, but have charities that are already existing, be able to stay, sustain longer because they only charge 5%. Imagine being able to run your charity at 5% administrative. Mm -hmm. There are charities out there that, you know, they give away 5% because their expenses are so high. This is, this really solves a huge problem. So for me, that this is one of those perfect situations where I, I think it's extraordinarily disruptive, easy to use, and um, will do good for the world. Right. That's actually a very interesting investment. So you mentioned something else, which is investors got peaking out during uh, this pandemic. And it's true. What's your recommendation to those founders who are seeking for funding right now and see all those you know, investors who suddenly became extremely peaky? What's your recommendation to them? Sure. Well, first of all, you know, like in, in, real estate is location, location, location. Venture capital is valuation, valuation, valuation. Um, you really want to know that that determines how many shares we get for our check. So if you try to come in at those crazy inflated valuations that we were seeing, particularly on the coasts pre-COVID, you're not even going to get a meeting because a lot of us have rightfully so asked to have them renegotiated and um, they have. And basically, we just get issued more shares. But the days of pre-rev, I have a great idea, so I have a value of six million dollars is gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you you have a great idea. It's worth it's worth a great it's it's worth nothing. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, and to be worth six million, you've got to have some traction. You have to have a, an MVP, a, a minimum viable product, and I'd like to see a little revenue. So yeah, things. Things are changing. And also, one of the most interesting things I've learned is I'm getting so tired of only getting deal flow from the coasts, from you know, San Francisco, LA, and New York. And when I would get out and about, I'd hear from women. I do a lot of speaking engagements and summits, and there's these incredible women in St. Louis and Nashville and places that we aren't. But thanks to mm -hmm. Zoom and WebEx and all these wonderful ways of now doing virtual meetings, they have access to us, we have access to them, Nobody has to leave their, you know, home office and it's, it's going to make the pie so much bigger. It's going to be very exciting because a lot of these women now don't have to uh, save up to fly to a, uh, something in San Francisco or an event in New York city. They can do it on these webinars that we're having now um, quite frequently. Right, right, exactly. And that's true. I'm personally, I have nothing against the coast deal flow, but you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, but let's talk about this exactly. Uh, deal flow, where, where, how do you source your deals? Where do you find those deals? Well, truthfully, the best deal flows come from, um, so I'm not just a GP in my own fund. I'm also an LP in a number of uh, female-led uh, funds. And I do that because, again, I want to put my money where my mouth is and I want to support other women that, um, 
that are raising funds. I'm in about six funds run by women. And uh, we share deal flow and, and I often will do a co-invest alongside them with, with certain deals. So in that case, the due diligence is already done for me. It's a little bit vetted. Sometimes I'll come in a little bit later along with them. Um, I've had great deal flow sitting next to somebody on an airplane back when we used to fly <laughs> on airplanes. Um, I, I think when I get something from somebody that is a uh, series F and Sequoia is taking 300 or, you know, 350 million, but they'll let us have 3 million. What do you say? And what I say is if it's that great, Sequoia is going to keep all 350 million. Like, thank you. But you know, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, if it's a situation where, oh my God, they have no women on the cap table, uh, you know, that's, and so they're carving out a niche, then that piques my interest. But I often wonder sometimes, you know, if somebody's giving me a little bit, why are they giving me a little? I mean, I, I learned that with Uber, quite frankly, and, and it, it was a loss. But I get great stuff from going to um, pitches, um, visiting incubators and accelerators, you know, being on panels, um, and Golden Seeds, great access through Golden Seeds and also OC Angels. Uh, I found giving through OC Angels. Nice. That sounds like a pre-reach deal flow, and I personally like uh, going to those demo days as well. A lot of them are really great. Some of them are really not great, but you know, it's uh, just try and uh, you'll find the best ones eventually. So and if you and if you can go remotely now, now right. you know why not? Right now, it's, exactly. Uh, yeah, what does it cost you? But you know, actually, I, I missed that part where I actually had to go to the office of an accelerator and sit there and listen to those pitches in person, and then you know, eat some pizza. I <laughs> so much; it's it's horrible. Anyways, let's not get into that, or I'll get a bit sad here. Uh, so, you mentioned that uh, you know you're interested in philanthropy and you have multiple funds, but there are different ways of uh, raising money for founders. And what sure. are they? major alternative sources of capital besides angel investments and venture capital? Sure. Well, I always say to people, please wait as long as you can before you take outside money, you know, OPM. Try to, you know, first, of course, you bootstrap, which means that you bug your friends and family until they're no longer your friends. I guess they're still <laughs> your family. Uh, but you push, push, push. You max out every credit card. You get more credit cards. And then let's say you're a med tech or a pharma company. Apply for an NIH grant. You'd be surprised how many there are. If you are a small business, you go, you know, get a, get an SBA loan. They're actually easier now than they ever have, uh, ironically, um, to apply for a small business loan. Then there's also, you can look up, there's lots of local incubators and accelerators that might be in your town. Uh, and you could go and visit them and uh, see if they would have access to investors for you. And if you're an alumni of a school that has an incubator or an accelerator, it's not just for students. As an alumni of a school, you can go and utilize their resources. Um, you know, the UC system has has one of the best. It's extraordinary. Uh, I, I mentor over at USC and also UCLA, and I see a lot of alumni that are taking advantage of that, which is terrific. Um, lastly, before you do VC, of course, you want to look for angels and you can go through the ACA, which is the Angel Capital Association. I'm a member of that. And that's a way to find uh, angels. So just like, you know, I've done t I've done dolphin tanks, which is like the sweet version of a shark tank. <laughs> <laughs> 
angels are kind of like the sweeter version of, of venture capital. So you, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing the same thing, but you're a little, it's definitely gentler an experience and then it prepares you for the, for the rest of the way. That's nice. I've never heard of uh, dolphin tank. Sounds, sounds pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, the SBA, just FYI, for those who don't know what SBA is, it's a small business administration, great resource. I'm personally a big, big fan of SBA. They do a lot of support for startups, even though it's a government program, they have a lot of smart people. So now let's talk a little bit about your personal investment preferences in terms of what you like to see uh, when you're reviewing the deal. So what do you think are the three must-have points on the pitch deck? Oh, that's easy. We, I, we always say PTP, problem, PAM, people. And let me explain. Problem, what problem are you solving? What is the painful problem that has to be addressed? PAM, total addressable market. If this problem is only for your neighborhood, you should go find a way to self-fund this. But if your problem is global, um, it could even be bigger than anybody realizes. You just have to show me how big it is. And then you only need, the larger the, the TAM is, the larger the total addressable market it is, the less percentage you need to actually um, become profitable. And people, so the team. Um, I guess you could say PTT if you want, problem TAM team. But no matter how great your idea is, you have to have an incredible team. And I listened to a company last week, I will not name them, they were geniuses. It was the worst presentation. And all I kept thinking is, neither of you should be presenting this. Uh, neither of you are explaining this. It, and they were bouncing off each other from like worse and worser. I finally stopped it. And there were a lot of people watching. I couldn't help myself. I said, listen, you guys are wizards. You're Zuckerbergs. You need a Sandberg. With all due respect, Wizards are geniuses. They have these great ideas, but they're not always the best at presenting their business or really even understanding it. They need executors. They need people that can then go and, you know, like uh, Bill Gates with Steve Ballmer. You know, you got the genius, wizard I'll call it, and then you need the person that knows how to market it, sell it, get it out there, raise the money. And uh, so that that's something that's extremely important is uh, to make sure that you're the best team, but if it's going to be presented, make sure that the best person is presenting on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Same happened to me multiple times. I think the, the worst presentation I saw was guys that I really liked a lot. And it's actually, it was a female led company. So uh, just, and the presentation was horrible. The people were really smart. I think they graduated the Russian, the top Russian university in uh, science, like MIPT. And sure. I, Probably my expectations were just too high for them, and there was a language barrier, etc. But when we jumped off the call, my partner was like, "Constantine, what the was that?" <laughs> like, I was not happy. Uh, so yeah, make sure your pitch is good, and I always say, you know, practice, 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 practice. I mean, I had another pitch last week. The woman, I couldn't understand her. The language barrier was just horrible, and I didn't understand. I don't even understand what she did. It, it was AI driven. I kept begging her to dumb it down for me, and she couldn't because she's that much smarter than me. And uh, finally, um, I said to her, what do you do? And then she started explaining that she's uh, head of robotics and this and MIT, and she works for NASA. She was a genius, but we couldn't understand a word she was saying. So oh again, 
you know, God, get yourself a great teammate. Get yourself somebody who will be able to, you know, sell what you have, sell what you've created. Exactly, exactly. That's a great advice. And actually, let me ask you a follow-up question. Where do you find those teammates? So what's your advice on finding a good teammate or probably even a co-founder? Is there like... I think- I think a lot of the women's, uh, there's a lot of women's groups out there now, a lot. Um, there, and there's, you know, High Alice, and there's just so many different options for women, but also those accelerators, the incubators, the women's summits, the forums. If you get out there, trust me, and you say, hi, I have a job. I need a great coder. Uh, she needs to be a woman. She needs to have four years experience. Do you know anybody? I mean, they're going to get bombarded with uh female coders. I mean, we all are a really great asset to each other. We just have to ask for it. And that's why I always say one thing about women, I find men very competitive. And while women are competitive, we're also extremely collaborative. And I feel that, and I'm very proud personally, that I never waste someone's time. So if they come and pitch to me, I may not write them a check, but they won't leave empty handed. I'll say, you know what, here's someone I think could help you with this, or there's somebody you should call or whatever it is. It can be advice. It can be a contact, whatever it is. It's something to make them better. And so, you know, I think that you have to ask for it. You can go on LinkedIn. Again, you lots of these different uh, women's groups and angel associations. But if you put it out there that you need somebody, there's that's not a hard thing to get answered. Right, right. And as we talk, by the way, Women Founders Network is a fabulous resource here in California. They're in Los Angeles. I'm on the board. And that's another great source, Women Founders Network. Yep. I've even heard of that one. So check it out. And that we talked about Pitch Deck a little bit. Uh, Now it's time to talk about the mistakes that you see during the presentation. So what are the three most common mistakes that you see during the presentation? And that does not have to be Pitch Deck only. It might be the way people talk or the way people enter the room. Wherever it comes to your mind. Okay, so I'm going to make this analogous to a book or a movie. If I'm not struck and wowed in the first 10 pages or the first 10 minutes of a movie, there's a good chance I'm going to leave or put the book down. And that's how I feel about a pitch. Come out of the gate and wow me. Don't save it for the end. Don't have the most important part be at the last slide because we may not be paying attention by the last slide. We may not be paying attention by the middle of mid-slide. So start off strong and come out confident. And especially for women, for some reason, we're always taught to be ladylike and don't be, don't be egotistical. And, uh, and what that translates into, it's okay to be confident when you're a man, but it's not ladylike if you're a woman. That's baloney. Confidence is sexy. Confidence brings capital. Walk into that room with confidence. There's a difference between being cocky and confident. And confident gets capital. So um, if you walk in shy and, and, and timid and, you know, almost like you don't deserve to be there, you know, that's not, that doesn't build confidence in me. So your confidence will build confidence in me. So um, I guess, you know, wow me from the beginning, get my attention right away, show me why you guys are special and the only ones that can probably do this. And then show me why your product is special and the differentiation between you and any competitors and, uh, you know, the, the moat that you've created so that there's a high barrier to entry. Those are very important. So I don't want to have to ask those things. I want those to be already expressed to me. 
Perfect. That's clear and wonderful. So we're and one last little thing that may sound silly. I'm from the East Coast, and um, maybe that's why. But I've gone to so many pitch events here in California, especially at the at the universities, even though even though they're alumni, and they show up in like surfing shorts and flip flops. <laughs> And I'll say, listen, you didn't have to wear a custom-made suit, but it'd be nice if I wasn't looking at your legs and your toes. And they, they laugh because they think I'm kidding. And I say, listen, I'm a bank. If you were going yeah. to look for a mortgage, would you be dressed like that when you met with the loan officer? And they always say, well, no, of course, I'd, I'd wear a button-down shirt. I'd wear slacks. I said, well, then you need to take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, the guys who have a ton of money up in Silicon Valley have the luxury of being able to wear Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops, mm -hmm. but you're looking for money, so you need to be dressed a little bit different and professionally, and um, that's a pet peeve of mine. Right, and that's same pet peeve here, absolutely the same thing, you know, being a couple minutes late, not being dressed properly, and all those small things, I think they really turn down the whole, the whole thing, uh, especially when it goes about the money, it's really about a lot of it is about emotions. So yeah, take take care of those small details. Anyways, yeah. now we're moving on to the last question, which is call to action. What's the one thing that you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over? So there's a fabulous book called The Fundable Startup by Fred Haney. It is for founders and it's for funders. It covers both sides of, of the equation. I, I my son uh, just graduated Harvard. He's uh, economics. He's starting business. I got him a copy. Uh, I get copies for all of my founders. Um, and I'm also getting them for my fellow funders because it helps you to really understand what needs to be, how you can be the most fundable company possible and what you should be looking for if you're a founder in these companies. And if you're a, if you're a founder, how, you know, how to put yourself in the best light. So go get a copy either online or Amazon of the fundable startup by Fred Haney. Perfect. That's wonderful advice. And I'll definitely leave a link to that book in the description of this episode and we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Stacy, for coming up and for sharing your experience in this field and specifically focusing on female founders. I think that was a really, really helpful episode. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to reading that book, to be honest. <laughs> oh, great. And I have one last thing I'd like to say. Because I do focus on women minorities, I have one other pet peeve, which is very hard, but I'm just going to share it with you. Nobody wants to see their founders spending all their time raising money. I want you out changing the world. I want you out reaching your milestones. And every time I find out that you're still going and trying to get more money, it takes you, your vision and your time away from what we want, wanted you to do from the first place. Mm -hmm. So don't raise in small tranches. Men will say, I need five million, so I'm gonna go raise ten million with a bunch of bros over beers. <laughs> Women need ten million. They say, I'll ask for five hundred thousand twenty times. <laughs> I don't want to seem pushy. <laughs> no, get what you need, get it all at once if possible. Be confident about it, and then put your nose to the grind, reach your milestones, and get, you know, achieve what we want you to achieve and stop it with the fundraising. Perfect. That's great advice, you know, get over fundraising very quickly because uh, founders are not supposed to spend much time on fundraising. That is true indeed. So thanks a lot, and we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot again. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Constantine. Thanks so much.